0: This is Kristen Smith, and you're listening to the Destination Begin Podcast. Hi, hi. Welcome to another episode of the Destination Begin Podcast. I'm really glad that you're joining me today. I'm talking today about something near and dear to my heart and really, honestly, one of the main reasons why I started this podcast. Um, I have a real passion about weight loss and the fact that it's possible for anyone and the fact that when you have weight to lose and you struggle with food that it's not a character flaw and if you've been overweight or you are overweight you likely have dealt with this feeling of futility and a feeling like you can't seem to control yourself and you lack willpower and there's something wrong with you. That's not wrong with that skinny person over there who seems to eat whatever they want and not be fat like me. And um, that there's there's a big personalization that happens when you're overweight or obese. Um, that leads to shame and leads to feeling badly about who you are. And I had similar feelings. I have. Similar feelings regularly. And um, if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you've heard the story of how I've lost weight and that it's been a 15 year journey for me. And one of the biggest keys to me finally reaching my goal weight after 15 years um, was discovering a book called Never Binge Again, which was written by Dr. Glenn Livingston. And that was the final piece of the puzzle for me. To be able to really win my own personal battle with food, um, you know, I started binging as a kid. I started emotionally eating as a kid. And binge eating, the, most people think of binging and purging when you hear the word binge, um, you think of bulimia. And um, I want to be really clear from the get go that I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist. I don't diagnose or treat any kind of disorders. Um, I am a certified Never Binge Again recovery coach. um, So I can coach you. I can coach people through um, recovering from binge eating. And binge, in this context, is any bite of food that you eat that is not part of your own plan to reach your own goals. So if you plan on eating 1500 calories and you eat a banana, if you're a binger like me, you feel really terrible about the banana. And the banana is not bad for you, the banana is not immoral, the banana is not a bad food. In fact, a banana is good for you. But the bottom line is, is if you didn't plan to eat it, it wasn't part of your goals, You'd already eaten enough food for the day, and yet you had the banana because of a craving or an urge. That's what I'm talking about here when I talk about binging. And a lot of people, whether they're overweight or not, struggle with this. And it's often healthy foods. It's often not healthy foods. But it's different for everyone. And so the feelings of shame and regret after eating food... A certain food, or eating a food in a setting, or a behavior related to food, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate about whether or not this verbiage should be even used. But it's being used here, and it's being used in many arenas in a really constructive, healthy way to kind of call a spade a spade. When I eat five protein bars, they're not bad for me necessarily, but that's a binge because I don't need five protein bars unless I have access to no other food that day. But the times that I've eaten five protein bars, it wasn't because I was hungry and had no access to food. It's because I started eating them and I didn't want to stop. And I felt a compulsion to continue to eat them. So all of that to say, in this context, in this podcast, in I talk about binging, I'm talking about a food behavior of eating anything more than you planned on, and anytime you eat even a bite of food, that makes you feel bad afterwards. So now that that's been clarified, um, the Never Binge Again system teaches you how to defeat your food cravings so that you can lose weight and reach your goals without relying on willpower almost say almost because it does require a little willpower in the beginning. And, um, you know, I started emotionally eating as a kid and I gained weight all throughout my childhood and adulthood and ended up 400 pounds. And I was successful at losing some weight with traditional diets. And I got down to around 300 pounds and then I had weight loss surgery. And that was a huge kicker for me. I was able to lose a lot of weight really quickly. And it was awesome to get down to a a healthy weight, to get to a BMI that was healthy, to reduce my body fat, and to get rid of the health risks that I had associated with my obesity. But what happened is, over time the stomach regenerates itself and relaxes a bit. And so I was able to eat a little bit more and I was able to start experimenting with unhealthy foods again. And pretty soon I was eating chips and ice cream and cookies and foods that I wasn't supposed to have and just exercising more and not caring that I wasn't getting the nutrition that I needed. And I started to gain weight a little bit back And for sure was not losing weight anymore because of these food behaviors. And I wasn't eating an excessive amount of calories, but I was eating the wrong foods. And what it did was it got me back to my old habits of eating when I was emotional or eating when I was tired or eating when I was sad. And I had to address it. And so I did. I went to the paleo diet and I started working out really hard and um, was able to, to stop regaining weight and lose a little bit but over the course of the next few years I had a cycle of working out really hard, eating really clean and healthy during the week and then on the weekend celebrating with food and eating too much and snacking too much and binging on junk food and I would find myself on Sunday nights full of sugar and full of salt and full of food, just emotionally distraught. Like, why did I do that? Why did I undo all the hard work I did previously last week? And now I feel gross and bloated and full of junk. And and so then I would write down my food plan for the upcoming week. And I would determine that I was going to work out every single day and work out really hard and eat really clean. And I would. And I would hyper-restrict my food and work out really hard only to repeat this cycle again. And there were times where I really got control over it, but for the most part, I didn't lose any more weight. And I was in this mental war. I was in a battle with food. And you hear a lot of people use that verbiage of that they've been battling their weight for years. And that's exactly how I felt. I was battling my weight. And about two years ago, after another weekend of eating junk food and binging on sweets and eating chips and popcorn, and my binge foods were bags of skinny pop popcorn, you know, the healthy popcorn, but I would eat two bags of it in a day, and then that would lead to a feeling of I overate, so I blew it, so I may as well keep eating, and then I would go for all the junk food in the house. And so another Sunday night, I was crying, defeated, frustrated with myself writing down my food plan and my goal for the week again. And I decided to Google emotional eating help and binge eating help. And I found Dr. Glenn Livingston and this book called Never Binge Again. And it was free to download. And so I downloaded it and I read up a little bit about Dr. Glenn and learned that he was a – not only is he a um, psychologist, but he had spent many years as a very successful marketing executive – teaching big food companies how to market their products to you and me. And so he understood the game that's being played out there by the food industry, and yet he himself was struggling with binge eating and found himself overweight and completely buried in this shame blanket that I could so relate to. And he came up with a process for himself, um, and he wrote it in a journal, and it helped him lose weight and... End that battle in his own life over food chocolate being his his big trigger And he decided he wanted to help people and so he took that journal and he turned it into a book And he published it and and offers it for free online And it's become an incredibly powerful tool that thousands of people have benefited from and have learned how to end their binge eating cycle. And it worked for me. I was able to finally take control over these foods and these food behaviors that just kept me in this cycle. And it just changed my relationship with food and myself and my opinion of myself and my understanding of me and food as a couple. (laughs) And it's been so powerful that I wanted to get certified as a Never Binge Again coach so that I could help people, so I could teach this to people. And it's been the most rewarding and gratifying experience to study under Dr. Glenn and get certified. And now I'm coaching people and helping them um, beat their own um, struggle with food. So the most important thing to tell you from Go is that there's nothing that you've done with food that I haven't done. (laughs) My story started with eating bologna sandwiches on white bread in bed as a young kid. And over the years, I have driven to the drive-thru and eaten a giant value meal in the car and then hidden the bags from my family. Um, I've eaten whole pizzas followed by whole bags of chips followed by dozens of donuts um, I've never been a bulimic. I've never th- made myself throw up. I wished that I could. Um, but you name it, I've probably done it with food. And the feeling of shame has chased me my whole life when it comes to food. But understanding the food industry and the billions that they spend on engineering hyper-pleasurable food has been huge. The industry – for food is controlled by the bottom line, obviously competition, whichever products produce the most profit. Um, So they're constantly making foods that are more pleasurable and more addictive so that you buy them again. And they're replacing real food with chemicals that are cheap and high fructose corn syrup, which is cheap, which is highly addictive. And they've done studies with rats where they have an electrode in their brain And it's hooked up to a button. And these rats, when they push the button, they receive a jolt in the pleasure centers of their brain that is so addicted that they will reject water, food, other rats, sex, um, in favor of pushing that button. And they'll push it until they are dead. And that same pleasure center in our brain is lit up when we eat these highly palatable processed foods. And so not only are these foods being created, but they're being marketed to us. They're being associated with events that make us believe that enjoying our life and enjoying family and friends, it depends on the food that you have. I mean, the 4th of July, Independence Day, it's about food. The holidays, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, at the end of the year, New Year's, it's all about food and food traditions, and it's marketed to us that way. Um, a lot of these foods, too, they have this 1-2 ratio of 1 gram fat to 2 gram sugar, which is the most highly addictive combination that you can have of those two ingredients. Chocolate. Chocolate, it comes from the cocoa bean, and that's disgusting. But you add fat and sugar to it, and all of a sudden, it's delicious, and you add it in a 1-2 to two ratio, and it's downright addictive, So you are not a bad person. You are not flawed. You do not lack willpower. You're living in a world where food is engineered to be hyper tasty and it's marketed to you so that you feel like you need it to enjoy your life and it's addictive. So you're not helpless. You have a healthy appetite and it's being used by the food industry to create insane profits. 66% of the population in the U.S. are overweight and almost 40% are obese. So clearly, food is being marketed to such a degree um, successfully that we're unhealthy and obese. And so, if we can disconnect ourselves from getting high on this food, we can start to make decisions that align with uh, the goals. And the plans and the dreams that we have for our bodies and our health and our fitness. So when you disconnect that rat from the electrode and when they push that button, they don't get that response. It's not very long until they stop pushing the button. They still keep pushing it for a while. But eventually, when there's no reward, they stop pushing it. And so we're trained that when we're sad or happy or angry or tired or lonely or bored that we can solve that by eating food. And so because we've solved that problem by eating food now when we have those emotions we have a food craving. And if we eat something, we reward that craving. Um we feel better. And then if it's something unhealthy and we feel bad about eating it, so now we're sad again we crave more food, and then we eat the food, and we're in this vicious cycle, and that's what we call a binge. And most people think that those cravings will stay forever, but if you can learn not to give in to them, the cravings basically disappear within 30 to 60 days if you consistently don't reward the craving. And that sounds kind of terrible to think about craving food and not giving into it for 30 or 60 days. It sounds impossible, but In life, we find ourselves uncomfortable all the time wanting to do things that we can't because society has set up rules to keep order and to keep us safe and to keep parameters around our behaviors um, that mean that we're uncomfortable. If you just think about traffic and if you're running late and you come to a red light, nobody tells you. There's nothing to support the idea that if you're late and uncomfortable because you're stressed out, you can run that red light. But yet, the food industry says if you're hungry and you want chocolate, you need to have a Snicker Bar right now. And we're going to put it at every gas station, convenience store, vending machine, everywhere so that you can get at it as soon as possible. Because we, the food industry, don't want you to be hungry and craving chocolate without feeling free to indulge it. But the rest of the world doesn't work that way. So to think, I can't crave chocolate and not have it. Yes, you can. Because you crave putting a piece of duct tape over a crying baby's mouth on an airplane, but you don't do it. Why? Because you're not a crazy person. <laughs> you want to, you crave flipping someone off in the elevator when they say something offensive. And if you're a person who doesn't, Behave that way, then you sit with that craving and you don't do it. We don't call it craving because it's not food, but an urge and instinct. We suppress our instincts to behave badly and to buck rules all the time. And society supports that in order for us to get along and have peace and be safe. But when it comes to food, marketing and the food industry and our society has the completely opposite message. So, Never Binge Again is a mental game that breaks the connection between the craving and the reward. And if you can play this game for a couple of months, the cravings will most likely disappear. And this system worked for me. And it's worked for so many other people. Um, There are testimonials all over online about this system. It's just incredibly powerful. Um, And I can really only speak to my experience with it, but it's been incredibly powerful. So, I'm going to tell you how the system works. So, the first step to this system is to separate your higher self from your lizard brain. So, your higher self is you. That's who you are. That's your emotions, that's your plans and dreams, your ability to appreciate music and art, and your preference for pink over green. It's who you are, it's the front part of your brain, it's your frontal lobe. And your lizard brain is your primal brain. It's the back part of your head. It's your brain stem. That part of your brain evolved first. And that's the part of your brain that is your survival instinct. It's fighting to keep you alive at all times. And it was there before you were fully developed in the womb. And it's the first part of your brain that started functioning to keep you alive. And so that part of your brain isn't you. It is an instinct that's built into your brain. And it's responsible for all your primal urges and all of your cravings. It's responsible to keep you alive. So when it sees something, it wants to eat it, kill it, or mate with it. When it sees a rabid dog, it wants you to run. If you're tired, it wants you to rest. It's simply there to keep you alive. And way back when, we needed it because when we saw food, we needed to eat as much as we could so that we could stay alive. And we were running for our lives way back when um, a lot. And so this instinct was necessary, but now there's plenty of food, and most of us aren't being chased by wild animals. And so this lizard brain is less useful. And you, your human id your human identity that lives in your frontal lobe, your neocortex, you have the ability to, to control the lizard brain. And so by separating those two voices, and you've seen cartoons, I'm sure, of the angel on the shoulder and the devil on the shoulder and the conversation that happens between the two. And that's a representation of you, your frontal lobe, the front part of your head. Think of your face and your lizard brain way back in the back part of your head. That's, that's a drawing, a depiction of you having a conversation with your lizard brain. And we tend to argue with it. We go back and forth back and forth because of course we like ease and pleasure and rest and to have our craving satisfied. Of course we like it. It feels good. It is the path of least resistance and that's what we like. But if you, your frontal lobe, your actual higher self is going to achieve your goals, it requires you taking control over the comfort zone, over the instinct to have rest when you need to work out and the instinct to eat junk food when you need to have salad or to put the fork down when you've had enough. And so to separate these two parts of your brain it's really powerful to name your lizard brain, your lizard brain. Your lizard brain is not your friend and it's not you. It's just a part of your brain. And so the never binge again system recommends naming it something that's not lovely and in the book we call it the pig. You can choose whatever name you want. I tend to call it my lizard brain. I, I don't tend to call it the pig, but it's it's really helpful. And you're not talking about a, a cute little cuddly barn animal. Think of like a wild boar with fangs that's snarling, that's always hungry, that's drooling. And this, you don't want to hug your inner pig you want to love your inner child. I love the Kristen that was sad and lonely and wanted to binge on bologna sandwiches. I love her. I feel terrible for her that she felt that way. But the inner pig, it's a wild animal. And that voice started winning when I was little. And and, and I was too little to understand that. And I wasn't prepared or, or equipped to cope with those feelings. And so it was basically impossible for me at that age especially because I never saw it modeled, um, to to not listen to that voice. So you want to love your inner child. You want to love the person that you are, but you don't want to love your inner pig. The inner pig is a wild animal. It just wants to binge. And by freeing it and by giving into it, you reinforce the addiction that you have to foods that you use to get high, foods that you use to numb feelings, foods that you use to avoid work. Or to enjoy and indulge in when you know that they're not good for you. So you can take control. You can force the lizard brain to obey your commands. You can. That when you stop at a stoplight when you don't want to and you're running late, that is you, your frontal lobe, controlling your lizard brain, saying, No, I don't care that no one's watching. I am not going to run the red light. Or if you sit down at a table at a diner. And there's a tip sitting there for the waitress. And no one would see if you took it. The fact that you don't take it is you, the person who's not a thief, controlling that primal urge in the back of your head that might really want $5. So we control that pig in our head all the time. It's just that for most of us, especially if this is resonating with you, we haven't done it when it comes to food. So how do we control this pig when it wants to binge. So we're going to use the example of chocolate at midnight. So you're about ready to go to bed. It's midnight. And there's a voice in your head that's like, "Mm, I really want a Kit Kat. You can say, I'm not going to eat that. I don't let farm animals, pig. Tell me what to eat. Now shut up and go back to your cage. Now that sounds crazy, right? It sounds weird. I don't recommend saying that out loud to a bunch of people. But By actually addressing the lizard brain with the name, Hey Pig, you are separating yourself from it. You are dominating it. You are telling it, there's no way I'm going to eat that. I don't listen to you. Shut up. Go back to your cage. I don't need you. So conducting that real dialogue, it, it separates your healthy and non-healthy food thoughts. And it gives you a few seconds to pause and resist the craving and make the right decision. And is it that simple? No, but almost. This is something that requires imagination, being willing to kind of feel a little foolish at first, and getting used to this concept. It's, it's odd. And so in order to further separate, it's important to identify Those unhealthy food thoughts. And if they're coming from this part of our brain that we're calling a pig, we can call those unhealthy food thoughts pig squeals. And by doing that, we can further identify and separate us, our higher selves, the part of us that wants to fit into those jeans, to wear that bikini on the beach, to simply not feel sick at night from eating sugar, to not feel shame. That part of us, our real selves, We want that voice of reason and planning and thoughtfulness to win over that loud, annoying, feed me, feed me, pig's wheel. So the way that we can further hear and identify those thoughts as the unhealthy food thoughts they are, we have to define some food rules. And there's a lot of discussion out there about food rules. There's a big intuitive eating movement um, where they talk about not having any food rules, but to eat intuitively. Um, I personally don't, don't uh, adhere to that kind of thinking. If I'm going to eat intuitively, my intuition says that I deserve a donut because I worked really hard today. My intuition is always going to tell me to eat more than I need to because my intuition has been run by my lizard brain for 41 years. So by defining food rules, you make them very clear. So a food rule is an always or a never. So for example, when I go to work, a lot of times there are donuts in the break room. And so my rule is I never eat donuts. I never eat them. And if you know me, you know that's a big deal because donuts have been my favorite food. But I never eat donuts. Um. And the reason why I make that a defined rule is because every time I would see donuts, I'd have to decide, am I going to have the donut? How am I going to feel about the donut? And when I eat a donut, I can't just eat one donut. I have to have many donuts. And so by saying I never eat donuts, I don't have to think about it. And now I've freed up mental space so that I don't even have to go there. And so a good rule like that, it allows me to identify the binge eating thoughts and dramatically reduce my need for willpower. Willpower decreases as the day goes by. And so if I see those donuts at six o'clock, I'm a lot more likely to eat them if I saw them then and not at 6am. So by using rules, you can identify the squeals of the pig and the internal dialogue that you need to cage the pig. But eventually the need for that internal dialogue disappears because The pig stops fighting. If you think about having rules versus guidelines, rules become a part of you. If you think about a vegan, they don't have a guideline around eating dairy and eggs and meat. They identify as a vegan. They don't eat those things. They don't think about it. It doesn't take any willpower. It doesn't even enter their mind. Same with religious Jews people that um, eat kosher. It doesn't occur to them. They don't have to look at a menu and decide if they're going to eat shrimp. They don't. They're uh, they're not – it's not part of who they are. It doesn't fit who they are. And so if you can say, I'm a person that doesn't eat donuts, that trumps I try not to eat donuts because now it's a part of your character. And the need for willpower goes away. And you can keep your food rules private, and they can include your favorite dishes. But then eating those food those foods, it's rules-based, and it's not cravings-based, and the craving disappears. So if there's a food that you really love, like I really like to eat cashews and mixed nuts. I tend to eat them in large quantities, and if I have them at home, I tend to eat them at night, and I just shouldn't be doing that. And so I have a rule that there's one place I'm allowed to eat cashews and mixed nuts. So when I eat them, I'm eating them in the setting that I, my frontal lobe, that I decided that I can have them. And so when I eat them, I feel good about them while I'm eating them, and I feel good about eating them after I eat them. I can enjoy the memory of eating them, and I get to have them in my diet. But I have determined that eating them in my house is not good for me because I eat too many. And I've determined that when I eat them in this other place, that it's a healthy, happy snack for me. And so that's when I do it. So when your rules are being managed by you in your neocortex, the urges and the cravings clearly don't belong there because you're not making those food rules based on an incredible uncontrollable urge. You're you're making those rules based on what your goals for your future, what your goals for your body and your health are. And so all the urges and cravings, they can be attributed to your lizard brain. So there are three more crucial points to make about this. And the first one is really important the primal instinct of your lizard brain it kicks in to keep you alive and so if your daily eating habits and your diet are not meeting your actual needs for a balanced nourishing diet you are going to have a lot of pushback from your lizard brain so that's why when they talk about being in a calorie deficit to lose weight physicians do not recommend a major calorie deficit. You're going to have most success with a small calorie deficit versus a ginormous one because your body and your mind can handle a small deficit and that lizard brain isn't going to go nuts. But if you're in like a thousand to 1500 calorie a day deficit, you're going to be starving yourself. And it's the job of your lizard brain, that pig voice, to keep you alive. So if your goal is to lose weight, it's really important that you choose to do so following a really healthy, balanced diet plan. So think back to things you've done in the past when you've been on a diet and it worked really well for you and you felt really good and it worked until you stopped working. Think about that and consider choosing that for you again because you want to choose something that you know you feel good and meets your needs that is also reputable and is going to make sure that you are healthy. And if you're losing weight, you're doing it at a healthy rate. And if you know that your diet is meeting your needs, you know you're getting the calories you need and the macronutrients, um, then you can resolve that you're going to withstand any level of discomfort that you feel to abide by the rules that you write. So if you have a a balanced diet, then hunger shouldn't scare you anymore because it's a good sign that you're losing weight and you can endure a little bit of hunger when you know that you're actually getting the nutrition you need. If you're fasting too much or you're eating 500 calories a day and you're hungry, that's probably a legit feeling. So not to beat a dead horse, but make sure that your daily diet is meeting your nutritional needs. So... There's a a good example I want to give you um, of a way to talk to the pig. So the pig, it's going to kick in and and try to get you to binge. And so using the example of chocolate at midnight. So say it's midnight, you're ready to go to bed and all of a sudden you hear this voice, "Hmm, we should eat some chocolate. Like there's some candy left over in the cupboard. We should eat that. So you hear that voice. You can answer that voice and you can do this out loud or do it On paper, uh, say, no, I have no intention of eating that. I'm not doing that. Be quiet. That's not going to shut the pig up. The pig is relentless and the pig is smart because the pig is actually, you know, it's in your brain. So you are a smart person. So most likely your pig is smart. And so it's not just going to be like, oh, okay. No, it's going to start to war with you. And you're going to be like, oh, no, I really want the chocolate. And it's going to start to feel uncomfortable. And so you're going to have to say, so what? You're going to have to just keep squealing as loud as you want. I'm not having any chocolate. You have to be firm and adamant, even when it is hard to do. <laughs> so a couple of minutes might go by and all of a sudden you hear like, ah, but I'm actually hungry. I didn't eat enough for dinner. I, I, I'm eating in a calorie deficit and I'm actually hungry and it's not good to be hungry. You can say, well, you know what? We ate really well throughout the day. We followed our plan. We're burning fat. It's okay to be a little hungry. Let it burn. And then your lizard gets a little bit more desperate. And I've had a really hard day. I deserve chocolate. How many of us have heard that idea that at midnight we deserve a treat? It's pretty common. Well, guess what? The pig always lies to you. And you do not deserve a reward of eating something off your plan. Chocolate at midnight is not a reward. You're going to stay up until later processing that chocolate. You're going to probably sleep badly. You're going to wake up tired and you're going to wake up a little fatter. Like but mostly you're going to be disappointed that you listened to the pigs. You can say no. My reward is to drink some water and go to bed and wake up tomorrow feeling victorious that I didn't give in to you and I'll be a little tiny bit thinner if I don't eat chocolate right now. And that's how you dispute that pig voice. That pig voice is always lying to you. It just wants To satisfy a craving, it doesn't care about how you feel in the morning. The pig doesn't feel good in the morning when you wake up feeling like, wow, I totally won last night. The pig is already thinking about how it's going to binge. It's not appreciating that feeling. And so it's not preserving that feeling for you. The pig has nothing to do with it. The job of the pig is to get you to eat the chocolate. And you, the beautiful soul that you are, you want to wake up in the morning with that win in the win column to say, I wanted chocolate last night, but it was not part of my plan to have chocolate. And so I did not. And that is a feeling that you cannot put a price tag on. And boy, does it beat the feeling of that shame blanket. It's nothing compares to it. Now, what if you did have the chocolate and you're feeling that shame blanket and you're like, ugh, I had the urge. I knew it was the pig and I listened to it. Well, you have to think of yourself, the best analogy that I can give you is that you are an archer and there's a bullseye, there's a target ahead. And when you aimed to not eat chocolate last night, you took aim at the bullseye. And if you ate the chocolate, your arrow didn't even hit the target, It went flying off into the woods. So you have a choice to make now. You can throw all of your arrows down, say this archery thing doesn't work. My arrows do not go in a straight line. No matter what I do, this doesn't work. I quit. You could do that. A lot of people do that on any diet to say, uh, I screwed up. This diet doesn't work. So instead of saying, my arrow wasn't lined up correctly. I didn't think it through. I didn't take the time to really address the situation. We, we like to blame the arrow, like the arrow was broken or the target wasn't in a reasonable place. No, you slipped up. You gave the pig the power. So grab another arrow and shoot for the bullseye again. Tonight, you're not going to have chocolate because you agreed You wrote a food plan. You wrote a rule that you weren't going to have chocolate. So you aim at the bullseye every time. You don't move the target. You don't blame the arrow. You say, Yeah, I missed it, but I'm going to try again. And I'm going to aim for the same perfection. So you hear the term of like, Oh, it's all about progress, not perfection. Correct. You don't have to be perfect. But you get up every day and you aim to be perfect because you wrote a food plan that is doable. It's perfect. You can succeed at the plan that you write if you write it well. And so there's absolutely no reason why you cannot achieve perfection on your food plan. If you do miss the mark on a rule, you accept that, okay, this wasn't perfect, but you don't change your plan. So if you feel shame and you feel like you want to quit, guess what? That's the pig. Because the pig doesn't want you to continue to aim for the bullseye. The pig wants to binge. The end. So shut up the voice of the pig saying, you're a loser, you're a failure, this doesn't work. No, this does work when you work. The end. (laughs) And the success rates of this plan are staggering. The average person who follows Never Binge Again, they lose 20 to 40 pounds. And they've been successful at keeping it off for a year. Uh, almost 60% of the customers are at their goal weight or close to it. And the people that are no longer implementing this system, and this was based on a, on a survey that um, Dr. Glenn did with his team, uh, about 20% of them are not implementing it anymore because they decided they wanted to keep binging or they were unwilling to be limited by rules. And the rules thing does trip a lot of people up. They don't want to have hard and fast rules. They want to be able to live life. That's what you hear a lot in this um, from people that have decided not to do it anymore. It's like, I want to just live life. Well, that is your prerogative, but I'm telling you that living life when you're in the driver's seat and you're controlling where you're going is a life that is action verb living versus being controlled by your whims and your cravings. That's passively living. That's saying whatever is presented to me, I have to adjust to it circumstance by circumstance. And that's exhausting. And that's not you in the driver's seat. So if you're interested in learning more about Never Binge Again, I highly recommend that you go to Amazon and download the free ebook for your Kindle. You can also find a link to download it at my website, which is destinationbegin.com. You'll also find more information there about coaching services, and there's a button that if you click it, it'll have you send an email to me and get you a free consultation to talk about me potentially being your personal coach, and we can talk about what that looks like. Just so you know, when I was looking for a life coach a while back, I just assumed that it was $11 billion, and I could never afford it, and I just want you to know that coaching with me is very affordable and there's no contracts involved, and you don't have to sign up to have me as your coach for the rest of your life. A lot of people benefit for having a few sessions to really tweak and and write a good food plan, and then just check in every now and again. So it really, just like your food plan, can be very autonomous to what you need. So don't be afraid to reach out and get more information on my website. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. I hope you learned something. If nothing else, I hope you learned that rules are not to be feared. That we follow rules in so many categories of life. We just don't really call them rules. We don't really fixate on them. But rules can be really great to protect you and keep you on the path to success. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Send it specifically to somebody you think might learn from it as well. And if you don't mind, share this podcast in general to your social media or to friends, family. The podcasting world's a big place, guys. And when I see that someone has shared this podcast, it really lights me up. I just appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.